0: This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook, Professional Responsibility, an Open Source Casebook, by Brian L. Fry and Elizabeth Schiller. The casebook is licensed Creative Commons Zero, no rights reserved. That means that the authors have explicitly disclaimed any copyright claim in all of the original elements that they created in writing this casebook and have intentionally placed the casebook in the public domain. Much thanks is due to Brian and Elizabeth for writing this book and placing it in the public domain for everybody to use. In furtherance of this spirit of open source, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Zero, No Rights Reserved. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Section 5 of the practice of law lectures. In this lecture, we'll talk about confidentiality. So, the duty of confidentiality. Attorneys have a fiduciary duty of confidentiality to their clients. The duty of confidentiality provides that attorneys may not disclose confidential information provided to them by their clients unless their clients consent to disclosure or an exception to the duty of confidentiality permits disclosure. The duty of confidentiality applies to both current and former clients. Clients disclose confidential information to their attorneys in order to obtain legal advice. Generally, clients are entitled to assume that their attorney Has a duty to maintain the confidentiality of any information disclosed in private. However, the duty of confidentiality does not apply to information that is generally known to the public. The duty of confidentiality is broader in scope than the attorney client privilege and the work product doctrine. Information that is not privileged or protected from disclosure as attorney work product may still be protected by the duty of confidentiality. Attorneys may not disclose confidential information about their clients without informed consent, unless one of the exceptions to confidentiality applies. Accordingly, The duty of confidentiality provides less protection to confidential client information than the attorney-client privilege or the work-product doctrine, which may preclude the disclosure of confidential information when the duty of confidentiality alone would not. Model Rule 1.6, Confidentiality of Information, Comment 2, notes, A fundamental principle in the client-lawyer relationship is that, in the absence of the client's informed consent, the lawyer must not reveal information relating to the representation. This contributes to the trust that is the hallmark of the client-lawyer relationship. The client is thereby encouraged to seek legal assistance and to communicate fully and frankly with the lawyer even as to embarrassing or legally damaging subject matter. The lawyer needs this information to represent the client effectively and, if necessary, to advise the client to refrain from wrongful conduct. Almost without exception, clients come to lawyers in order to determine their rights and what is, in the complex of laws and regulations, deemed to be legal and correct. Based upon experience, lawyers know that almost all clients follow the advice given, and the law is upheld. Generally known information. The duty of confidentiality prevents attorneys from using information about their current or former clients only if the information is confidential. Accordingly, the duty of confidentiality does not apply to information that is generally known. Whether information is generally known may be unclear. In the Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 59, comment D, Generally Known Information, notes, the generally known standard of this section is the standard of ABA Model Rules of Professional Conduct, Rule 1.9b, which is not further elaborated upon in this comment. The ABA Model Code of Professional Responsibility, 1969, included in DR 4-101A all information without regard to its public or private nature within its definition of confidences and secrets. ABA Model Rule 1.9B, on the other hand, accepts from its requirement of confidentiality information that has become generally known. No similar exception is contained, however, in the general purpose analog to ABA Model Rule 1.9b. Commentators have differed over the wisdom of the ABA Model Rule approach. Case law is sparse, but some authority agrees with the position taken in the section and comment. The law generally provides that a client communication cannot become public and still remain protected by the attorney-client privilege. The general law of agency also permits a former agent to compete with a former principal so long as the agent employs only information about the principal that is a matter of general knowledge. The case authority is divided on the question whether the definition of confidential client information includes publicly available information. The position taken in the section and comment that generally known information is not part of the definition of confidential client information for either present or past clients adheres to ABA Model Rule 1.9b. The absence of a similarly limiting provision in ABA Model Rule 1.8b which applies to ongoing representations, is not inconsistent. Any such lawyer use would be impermissible on the broad ground that the lawyer may not use even publicly known information to the detriment of a current client, whether to further a personal interest of the lawyer or to further the interest of another client. Exceptions to the duty of confidentiality and exceptions to the professional duty of confidentiality. There are many state variations in the scope of the duty of confidentiality. As a result, a practicing lawyer should be particularly attentive to local law. The lawyer should be attentive to the distinction between a permission to disclose and a requirement to disclose. This distinction is indicated by the use of may or shall in the language. Remember that the ethical duty of confidentiality covers a broader range of information than the privilege. The ethical duty also covers the use of information to the disadvantage of a client, a prospective client, or a former client. The third-party doctrine, the presence of a non-privileged third-party, does not necessarily destroy an attorney's duty of confidentiality. Confidential information remains confidential even if it is known to others, unless the information becomes generally known. There are eight exceptions to the duty of confidentiality. Client's consent, dispute concerning attorney's conduct, Disclosure to obtain legal ethics advice. Disclosure required by law or court order. Disclosure to prevent death or substantial bodily harm. Disclosure to prevent or mitigate substantial financial harm. And disclosure to detect and resolve conflicts of interest. Clients' informed consent. Model Rule 1.6 implicitly says that an attorney may reveal or use confidential information if the client gives informed consent. Informed consent means that the client agrees to a proposed course of action after the lawyer has adequately explained the risks and reasonable alternatives. Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 62, using or disclosing information with client consent. Notes, a lawyer may use or disclose confidential client information when the client consents after being adequately informed concerning the use or disclosure. Implied authority. An attorney has implied authority from the client to use or disclose confidential information when appropriate to carry out the representation unless the client gives specific instructions to the contrary. Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 61, Using or Disclosing Information to Advance Client Interests, notes, a lawyer may use or disclose confidential client information when the lawyer reasonably believes that doing so will advance the interests of the client in the representation. Dispute Concerning Attorneys' Conduct An attorney may reveal a client's confidential information to the extent necessary to protect the attorney's interests in a dispute that involves the conduct of the attorney. An attorney wishing to use this exception should reveal only what is necessary, attempt to limit the disclosure to those who need to know it, and obtain protective orders or take other steps to minimize the risk of unnecessary harm to the client. Disclosure to obtain legal ethics advice. A lawyer may disclose enough of the client's confidential information as is necessary to obtain legal ethics advice for the lawyer. Disclosure required by law or court order. ABA Model Rule 1.6b-6 permits a lawyer to reveal her client's confidential information to the extent that she is required to do so by law or court order. Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 63, Using or Disclosing Information When Required by Law, notes, a lawyer may use or disclose confidential client information when required by law after the lawyer takes reasonably appropriate steps to assert that the information is privileged or otherwise protected against disclosure. Disclosure to Prevent Death or Substantial Bodily Harm ABA Model Rule 1.6B1 permits a lawyer to reveal the client's confidential information to the extent that the lawyer reasonably believes necessary to prevent reasonably certain death or substantial bodily harm. This exception applies to death or bodily harm, whatever the cause. It does not need to be caused by the client, and the cause need not be a criminal act. It also does not need to be imminent, just reasonably certain. The exception also gives the lawyer discretion to disclose the confidential information. It does not require disclosure. Some states may require disclosure if they have not accepted the model rules. Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 66, Using or Disclosing Information to Prevent Death or Serious Bodily Harm, notes, A lawyer may use or disclose confidential client information when the lawyer reasonably believes that its use or disclosure is necessary to prevent reasonably certain death, or serious bodily harm to a person. Disclosure to prevent or mitigate substantial financial harm. The model rules permit a lawyer to reveal the client's confidential information to the extent necessary to prevent the client from committing a crime or fraud that is reasonably certain to result in substantial financial harm to someone if the client is using or has used the lawyer's services in the matter. The exception also applies if the client has already acted, and the lawyer's disclosure can prevent or mitigate the consequent financial harm. Disclosure to detect and resolve conflicts of interest Lawyers may disclose limited client information, such as client names and a summary of general issues, when a lawyer changes firms, when two firms merge, or when a law practice is being purchased. This is allowed in order to detect and resolve conflicts of interest. This exception is subject to four conditions. One, the disclosure may be made only after substantive discussions regarding the new relationship have occurred. Two, The disclosure must be limited to the minimum necessary to detect any conflicts of interest. 3. The disclosed information must not compromise the attorney-client privilege or otherwise prejudice the clients. And 4. The disclosed information may be used only to the extent necessary to detect and resolve any conflicts of interest. Protecting confidential information. A lawyer must make reasonable efforts to protect a client's confidential information from inadvertent or unauthorized disclosure by the lawyer and those under the lawyer's supervision, and from unauthorized access by third parties. The reasonableness of the lawyer's efforts is determined by considering such factors as the sensitivity of the client's information the cost of additional safeguards, and the difficulty of implementing the safeguards. Model Rule of Professional Conduct 1.6, Confidentiality of Information, Comment 3, notes, The principle of client-lawyer confidentiality is given effect by related bodies of law. The attorney-client privilege, the work product doctrine, and the rule of confidentiality established in professional ethics. The attorney-client privilege and work-product doctrine apply in judicial and other proceedings in which a lawyer may be called as a witness or otherwise required to produce evidence concerning a client. The rule of client-lawyer confidentiality applies in situations other than those where evidence is sought from the lawyer through compulsion of law. The confidentiality rule, for example, applies not only to matters communicated in confidence by the client, but also to all information relating to the representation, whatever its source. A lawyer may not disclose such information except as authorized or required by the rules of professional conduct or other law. The Attorney-Client Privilege The Attorney-Client Privilege is an evidentiary privilege that protects certain confidential communications between attorneys and their clients. Attorneys have a fiduciary duty of confidentiality that prohibits them from disclosing any confidential client information unless their client consents or they are required to disclose by law. The attorney-client privilege resembles the duty of confidentiality but provides broader protection for particular kinds of confidential communications. Specifically, the attorney-client privilege applies to confidential attorney-client communications for the purpose of obtaining legal advice. All confidential client information is protected by the duty of confidentiality, but only confidential attorney-client communications for the purpose of obtaining legal advice, are protected by the attorney client privilege. The attorney client privilege provides broader protection than the duty of confidentiality. The government can require the disclosure of confidential client information in circumstances where it could not require the disclosure of privileged attorney client communications. In fact, The government can rarely require the disclosure of privileged information, and courts interpret the exceptions to attorney-client privilege quite narrowly. But they also interpret the scope of the attorney-client privilege quite strictly. The attorney-client privilege is quite strong when it applies, but it only applies to certain kinds of communications And it is easy to lose. To begin with, the attorney-client privilege only protects confidential attorney-client communications. In other words, if a third party receives the communication, then it is not privileged, although it may still be confidential. So if anyone other than the attorney and the client participate in the communication, then it is not privileged. Moreover, the attorney-client privilege only covers communications for the purpose of obtaining legal advice. If an attorney-client communication does not concern legal advice, then it is not privileged, even if it is confidential. The attorney-client privilege does not cover business advice or other non-legal advice. In addition, the attorney-client privilege is easily destroyed Like the duty of confidentiality, the attorney-client privilege belongs to the client, not the attorney. Accordingly, only the client can waive the privilege, not the attorney. But the client waives the privilege by disclosing privileged information to a third party, whether or not the client intended to waive the privilege. By contrast, Information remains confidential until it is generally known. Attorneys should emphasize to their clients the fragility of the attorney-client privilege. Clients should know that any disclosure to a third party destroys the privilege, regardless of the context. Some courts have even held that inadvertent disclosure destroys the privilege. Identifying Privileged Information The definition of communications protected by the attorney-client privilege may differ slightly from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. However, as a general rule, information is protected by the attorney-client privilege only if 1. An attorney-client relationship existed when the communication occurred. 2. The information was confidential, and not shared with any third parties. And three, the information was communicated for the purpose of obtaining legal advice. So the attorney-client privilege only applies to communications made in the context of an attorney-client relationship. The privilege applies whether the attorney-client relationship is express or implied. But if no attorney-client relationship had formed, or the attorney-client relationship had ended when the communication occurred, then the information is not privileged, although it may still be protected by the duty of confidentiality. In addition, the attorney-client privilege only applies to information that is absolutely confidential. If the information is disclosed to any third parties. It is not privileged, although it may still be protected by the duty of confidentiality. This limitation applies to third parties who participate in the initial communication, as well as third parties who receive the communication after the fact. If a lawyer with whom the client lacks an attorney-client relationship receives the information, then it is not privileged. If a non-lawyer who is not part of the attorney-client relationship receives the information, then it is not privileged. Notably, the joint defense privilege or common defense rule provides that joint defendants can share certain confidential information under certain circumstances without destroying the privilege. Finally, the attorney-client privilege only protects information communicated for the purpose of attaining legal advice. Confidential communication between attorneys and clients for the purpose of obtaining non-legal advice are not privileged, although they may be protected by the duty of confidentiality. Attorneys often provide non-legal advice to their clients, especially when those lawyers are employees of companies. Such non-legal advice is not protected by the attorney-client privilege. The attorney-client privilege belongs to the client, not the attorney. Accordingly, only the client can waive the privilege. And clients can waive the privilege either intentionally or unintentionally. Attorneys should explicitly inform their clients that sharing privileged information with any third party will destroy the privilege and discourage their clients from sharing any privileged information without consultation. Sometimes, attorneys or clients inadvertently disclose privileged information to third parties. Different courts treat such disclosures differently. Some courts hold that accidental disclosure does not destroy the privilege and that the recipient of the information must return or destroy it, and may not use it. Other courts hold that accidental disclosure does destroy the privilege. In those courts, an attorney may accidentally destroy the privilege, even though the attorney lacks the authority to waive the privilege. While the attorney-client privilege is quite strong when it applies, There are certain exceptions to the privilege. There are a number of exceptions to the attorney-client privilege. Chief among them is the crime-fraud exception, which provides that the privilege does not protect attorney-client communications made for the purpose of committing or furthering a crime, fraud, or tort. However, the exception applies only if the crime, fraud, or tort actually occurs. For example, confidential communications between clients and attorneys for the purpose of determining whether an action is a crime, fraud, or tort are protected by the privilege, so long as the crime, fraud, or tort in question is not actually committed. Applying the attorney-client privilege The fiduciary duty of confidentiality protects confidential communications between attorneys and their clients, as described in the model rules of professional conduct. The attorney-client privilege also protects certain confidential communications between attorneys and their clients, but is not described by the model rules of professional conduct. In contrast to the duty of confidentiality, which imposes a fiduciary duty on attorneys. The attorney-client privilege is a common law doctrine that creates an evidentiary privilege for certain confidential attorney-client communications, specifically communications for the purpose of obtaining or providing legal advice. The attorney-client privilege was created by the courts, and its scope is defined by the courts. Accordingly, the attorney-client privilege differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. However, the restatement of the law governing lawyers describes the paradigmatic form of the attorney-client privilege. Federal Rules of Evidence 501, Privilege in General, states the common law, as interpreted by United States courts, in the light of reason and experience, governs a claim of privilege unless any of the following provides otherwise. The United States Constitution, a federal statute, or rules prescribed by the Supreme Court. But in a civil case, state law governs privilege regarding a claim or defense for which state law supplies the rule of decision. Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 68, Attorney-Client Privilege, Notes, Except as otherwise provided in this restatement, the attorney-client privilege may be invoked with respect to, one, communication, two, made between privileged persons, three, in confidence, and four, for the purpose of obtaining or providing legal assistance for the client. Restatement third of the law governing lawyers, section 69, relating to communication, notes, a communication is any expression through which a privileged person undertakes to convey information to another privileged person in any document or other record revealing such an expression. Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers Section 70 relating to privileged persons states, Privileged persons are the client, including a prospective client, the client's lawyer, Agents of either who facilitate communications between them and agents of the lawyer who facilitate the representation. Restatement 3rd of the Law-Governing Lawyers Section 71, in confidence, notes, a communication is in confidence if at the time and in the circumstances of the communication the communicating person reasonably believes that no one will learn the contents of the communication except a privileged person or another person with whom communications are protected under a similar privilege. And finally, Restatement 3rd of the Law Governing Lawyers, Section 72, Legal Assistance as the Object of a Privileged Communication, notes, A communication is made for the purpose of obtaining or providing legal assistance if it is made to or to assist a person, one, who is a lawyer, or who the client or prospective client reasonably believes to be a lawyer, and two, whom the client or prospective client consults for the purpose of obtaining legal assistance. Moving to the corporate privilege. When an attorney represents an organization, the default position of the law is that the client is the organization and not its agent's. However, an attorney representing an organization can form an attorney-client relationship with one or more agents of the organization, in addition to or instead of the organization itself, by explicit agreement. For example, an attorney could represent a particular agent of the organization or a component of the organization, like its board of directors. When an attorney client relationship exists between an attorney and an organization, the attorney client privilege may protect communications between the attorney and the organization. As a practical matter, the privilege may protect communications between the attorney and certain agents of the organization. Courts must determine whether the privilege applies to communications with particular agents and about particular subjects. When an attorney represents an organization, the attorney-client privilege belongs to the organization, not its agents. Accordingly, only the organization can waive the privilege. While an agent of the organization must effectuate the waiver, agents may waive the privilege only for the benefit of the organization, not for their own personal benefit or the benefit of any third party. In addition, the organization may waive the privilege without the consent of the agent or agents who participated in the communication. The agents of an organization may form an attorney-client relationship with their own attorney, in which case their communications with their attorney may also be protected by the attorney-client privilege. But the agents of an organization may not personally claim the privilege in relation to communications made as agents of the organization. While the attorney-client privilege may protect communications between an attorney representing an organization and the agents of that organization, it does not necessarily protect all such communications, only those for the purpose of providing legal advice and it does not necessarily protect communications with all agents. A small minority of states apply the control group test, which provides that the privilege only protects communications with the management of the organization. But most states and federal courts apply the Upjohn test, adopted by the Supreme Court, under which the privilege can protect communications with any agent so long as the communication was for the purpose of providing legal advice, including the collection of information for the purpose of providing legal advice. The Upjohn Test for Corporate Privilege In Upjohn Company v. United States, the Supreme Court held that the attorney-client privilege applies to an organization's attorney's communications with its agents, one, when a communication is made to the organization's counsel that is acting in their capacity as counsel and not as business consultants, for example. Two, at the direction of management for the purpose of securing legal advice from counsel. Three, concerning a subject within the scope of employment. And four, when the agent knows that the purpose of the communication is for the organization to procure legal advice. The Work Product Doctrine The Work Product Doctrine is an evidentiary privilege providing that attorneys ordinarily cannot be required to produce documents they create in the course of preparing for litigation. It applies to the notes, records, and other documents created by attorneys in gathering information in preparation for litigation and in the course of preparing litigation documents. The work product doctrine differs from the attorney client privilege in several aspects. First, it applies to different subject matter. The attorney client privilege applies to confidential communications with clients for the purpose of providing legal advice, but the work product doctrine applies to certain documents created by attorneys, whether or not those documents are communicated to the client. Second, it belongs to a different party. The attorney-client privilege belongs to the client, so the client is the only person who can waive the privilege, but the work product doctrine belongs to the attorney. Third, it is not as strong The attorney-client privilege is sacred and abrogated only if abused, but the work-product doctrine can give way to necessity. Notably, the work-product doctrine may cover any documents created by or for an attorney in anticipation of litigation. This requirement is generally interpreted liberally. A document is created in anticipation of litigation, if litigation is conceivable, even if no actual litigation has commenced. In addition, the document need not be created by an attorney. A document created for an attorney in anticipation of litigation may be protected by the work product doctrine. However, while the protection provided by the work product doctrine is broader than the protection provided, by the attorney-client privilege. It is also weaker. Unlike the attorney-client privilege, the work product doctrine can be overcome by a showing of necessity. Specifically, courts distinguish between fact and opinion work product. Fact work product is factual documents created in anticipation of litigation. An opinion work product is documents that reflect the mental impressions, conclusions, opinions, or legal theories of an attorney. Fact work product is discoverable if the opposing party can show a substantial need for the document, and it cannot obtain the relevant information by other means without undue hardship. But opinion work product generally is not discoverable, unless one of the exceptions to the attorney-client privilege applies. For example, if an attorney records an interview with a non-client witness and takes notes, the recording and notes will be protected by the work product doctrine, but not the attorney-client privilege. Under the work product doctrine, neither the recording nor the notes would normally be discoverable. As opposing counsel can interview the witness independently. But if the witness is unavailable, then opposing counsel may be entitled to limited discovery to the extent necessary to obtain material information. Typically, the interview would be discoverable because it is fact work product, but the attorney's notes would not be discoverable because they are opinion work product. If fact work product and opinion work product are combined in the same document, then the opinion work product would be redacted before the document is produced. In Upjohn Company v. United States, the Supreme Court held that notes and memoranda generated by Upjohn's attorneys that were not protected by the attorney-client privilege could still be protected by the work product doctrine. Specifically, it found that Necessity alone was not enough to require production of opinion work product. And finally, exceptions to the privilege and work product. While the attorney-client privilege and work product doctrine provide strong protection against discovery of the communications and documents they protect, they are both subject to waiver and other exceptions. The attorney-client privilege belongs to the client and can be waived by the client. Obviously, a client can intentionally waive the attorney-client privilege, but it is less clear whether a client can unintentionally waive the attorney-client privilege, and if so, when an unintentional waiver will be effective. And it is even less clear whether an attorney or third party can unintentionally waive the attorney-client privilege. Typically, a client's intentional disclosure of a privileged communication to a non-privileged third party constitutes a waiver of the attorney-client privilege, even if the client didn't intend to waive the privilege. But what if the client unintentionally disclosed the communication? For example, what if the client misplaced a copy of a privileged communication and a non-privileged third party found it? Or what if the client disclosed a privileged communication to a non-privileged third party under the mistaken belief that the third party was privileged? In theory, an attorney cannot waive the attorney-client privilege, but it is unclear whether communications intentionally or unintentionally disclosed to a third party by an attorney retain the privilege. For example, what if an attorney inadvertently produces a privileged document, or what if an attorney intentionally discloses a privileged communication to the public? Likewise, it is unclear whether the communications obtained and disclosed by a third party retain the privilege. In most jurisdictions, inadvertent disclosure does not necessarily destroy the privilege, specifically If an attorney inadvertently produces a privileged document, opposing counsel must return or destroy the document and may not read or otherwise use the document. And even an intentional disclosure by an attorney will not necessarily destroy the privilege. But in some jurisdictions, inadvertent disclosure may destroy the privilege. And if a privileged communication becomes generally known, at some point, the privilege is probably constructively waived, irrespective of how the waiver occurred. In addition, the attorney-client privilege and work product doctrine are subject to the crime-fraud exception, which provides that communications and documents in furtherance of a crime or fraud are not protected. The privilege applies to confidential attorney-client communications about a crime or fraud that has already occurred in order to enable clients to obtain candid legal advice. But the privilege does not apply to communications in furtherance of a future crime or fraud. The work product doctrine may be subject to an even broader exception for attorney misconduct, which provides that documents are not protected if they are the product of improper behavior on the part of the attorney. Inadvertent Waiver In the NRA sealed case, the IRS investigated a company for tax evasion and subpoenaed documents relevant to the investigation. The company refused to produce certain documents claiming attorney-client privilege. The government conceded that the attorney-client privilege applied to the documents, but argued that it had been waived. The district court found that the privilege was waived with respect to all of the documents because they were disclosed to third parties. The circuit court found that the privilege had been waived for some of the documents, but possibly not all of them. So that's all I'd like to talk about in this section Thanks, everybody, and take care.